I would say if the authorities didn't want us involved in the public square, they ought not to have crucified Jesus in the public square. Use humanistic principles. Well, I would say the Dan, same idea. Yeah, I would say same that. End. I would say, what's the problem with stardust bumping into stardust? In the in the cosmic picture, no, there's no problem. In the okay. cosmic picture, it won't matter. No, Mr. President, you are not protecting reproductive freedom. You are authorizing the destruction of freedom for one million little human beings every year. I'm sorry, my friends, but I am tired of seeing Jesus presented as a weak beggar. He is a powerful savior, and the gospel is not a suggestion, it is a command. Reverend Mola, don't you sympathize with that? I sympathize with every single human heart wishing to know the one true and living God, but I believe there's only one way that that can happen through Jesus Christ, and the gospel is about repenting of sin, not celebrating it. Right now, you're on the threshold of an amazing adventure. We will explore the spiritual abyss. You have not experienced this before. You're gonna love it. That one flows a lot better, doesn't it? I feel like it does. It was pretty seamless. That and I gotta say, job, the old theme really takes me back. It does. So when I started listening, when to you first started listening, radio. and now here you're sitting. Crazy. So when you were like five. How young do you think I am, sir? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sir? kidding. I'm kidding. I What's know up? It's coming back. But. So hey, you know how we do it. A verse to top it off, like a cherry right on top. But that'd be right at the end. But we like to put it on at the beginning. <laughs> so. uh... But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and... Respect. 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 Put some respect on it. Put some respect, put some respect on, on my name. You have to. On God's name. On God's name. That's what the name. verse is saying. Yeah, put some respect on it's, his name. It's the first century Birdman. <laughs> Birdman translation. <laughs> put some respect on it. Right, right. Some of you guys are wondering, how do I know that? I wasn't Jeff, always a pastor. Jeff is full, of, full of surprises. <laughs> I am full of surprises. Cool. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Apologia Radio. This is the gospel heard around the world. You can get more at apologiastudios.com. That's A P O L O G I A studios.com. You can go there, sign up for all access. You partner with us in all the ministry that we're doing the on the street evangelism, public debates, theology, sermons, talks, lectures, all of that. You make it all possible. So big thank you to all of our ministry partners. We love you. We're grateful for you. This is your ministry alongside of us. So praise God for all the people coming to Christ out of the cults, out of atheism, all the babies being saved. It's all made possible because people just like you partner with us in this ministry, and that's the truth. So thank you. You can also get Bonson you for free. I said it, mm-hmm. and I meant it. It doesn't make any sense. It shouldn't be that way. Bonson you completely for free all of Dr. Greg Bonson's life work 2000 audio lectures videos all the stuff still coming but we are pumping up that archive as we speak Bonson you for free again as a benefit for free because all of our all access partners you make it possible for the world to get all that stuff for free so thank you for that as well but you go to apologiastudios.com sign up you get Bonson you for free Is history it free? 
for free. History, apologetics, philosophy, uh, through the Bible teaching, uh, everything. It's a seminary course, uh, top tier, and it's free. Are, are you saying that all of that is free? That's what I'm saying. And I'm saying, well, you see, here's the thing. It's free. <laughs> it's free, but because people Somebody paid for are paying f- for all access to bless our ministry, they're actually paying for you to get Bonson U for free. So, you know, someone's, Not through taxation. someone is sacrificing their life willfully and their goods willfully for you to get it for free. It's not socialism. It's uh, Christianism. That's what what's, it is. What's free? Yeah. Nothing really. Not like, even salvation. Salvation. Someone God. had to pay. Free to well, us, but Jesus God paid. had to pay. That's free to true. us, but Jesus paid. That's how you should do things. That's real charity right there, y'all. So, um, hey, reformcon.org is where you go. It's coming up. It's October. It's happening. Three weeks from today. End of this month. Ref- we have Reformation Day weekend. We have ReformCon here in the Phoenix Valley. Get your tickets at reformcon.org. It is going to be excellent, exciting. We have great, great speakers. We've got David Bonson. I'm speaking. James White speaking. Joe Boot is speaking. Andrew Sandlin speaking. We got just a lot. And uh, we've got after party. We've got in between performances, all kinds of stuff. We've got just a great thing planned for everybody. So come show up for the Christian conference that you don't want to miss. Better than anything happening currently in the United <laughs> States of America. Better than you know uh, other conferences. FLF. <laughs> how do you how do you how do you say how do you actually pronounce that? <laughs> like that's uh, that's how I feel about the conference. That's, that's we heard a, a lot of that last year. This at the location. <laughs> It's because of all the all the livestock was making sounds like in, that. in a livestock so, arena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrible lighting. I mean, it, yeah, you heard you heard a lot of that noise. Yeah. A lot of some animal noises, and some mooing, and some yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Have mercy, y'all. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's happening right now. There's going on now. They're still going to be at ours. It's all right. But you know, we've gone to theirs enough. <laughs> I was turned off after the last one. I don't even know why I know about tickets for this one <laughs> after the last one. You know, when you get burned that badly to show up again, it's just an act of Christian grace. That's what I say. <laughs> they, they know I'm joking. For those of you that are like, think we're serious, we're not. We're not serious. Those are our boys. Just we love them. Take it down. Yeah, we love them. I mean, it is weird that they put their conference like two weeks before ours, but you know. <laughs> the timing. Timing's a little off. Suspect. Yeah, it's, it's definitely sus. sus. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, welcome everybody. I'm Jeff the Common Ninja. That's oh, Luke the Bear. You got a frog going on there? I, I, just, it, all of a sudden? It's my, yeah, it's, it's bad. My, my voice right now is bad. So I'm, I'm the ninja. That's the bear. <laughs> what up, That's though? That's Zach. Hey. hey, you know, we never really actually like settled on a real name for Zach, and I feel weird about that because everyone else comes on, we have a name for it. We've got, definitely we've got, like we've got Gaby years, the Baby in the control room. <laughs> Gaby the Baby. Well, who, what's Kyle? Like, Kyle's back there, too, my son-in-law. What's we uh, call him? Kyle? Baby face. Kyle the Pile. <laughs> what rhymes with Kyle? What rhymes with Kyle? Uh, Kyle, Kyle the Vile. Kyle the, the Vile. Kyle, I like that. That's Kyle good. in Denial. Kyle, I don't even know. we got to think of Kyle's name. Uh, but was Zach... Zach Conover, Director of Communications at End Abortion Now. Uh, when you sign up for your church to save children with us and to end abortion with us, you're going to talk to this guy right here to my left. And uh, we got some big stuff for you guys today. I'll let you know ahead of time as you're watching this. We got footage yes, last night. Zach spent time on this last night. Got it all set up. We got footage we're going to show you of Kathy Herod, president of Center for Arizona Policy. She's a leading uh, she's purported to be the leading conservative, you know, sort of political person in this state. Uh, she decriminalized abortion in the state of Arizona. She calls herself pro-life. Uh, she's actually not 
really for life, all human life. Um, she's the one that's responsible for removing the law that actually criminalized it for a mother to kill her child in the womb. Kathy Herod believes that a woman should be able to kill her child in the womb uh, with impunity and without consequence. Um, she readily admits. She readily admits. And now we've got her uh, We've got her saying it publicly. We've got a video of her saying it last night during a meeting. And so we're going to bring you into that. We're also going to talk a bit about uh, apologetic methodology. We're going to do that first because I want to train everybody, talk to everybody about apologetic methodology. How should we defend the Christian faith in a way that's honoring to Christ, which is the mandate there, and as God. And uh, do it in a way that's consistent, rigorous, and uh, powerful. We'll talk about that. That'll lead us right away, perfect segue, right into dealing with Kathy Herod, a woman who professes to be a Christian um, and uh, to be fighting the fight for the pre-born. Uh, but again, she's responsible for decriminalizing it in the state of Arizona. She's proud of it. And uh, so, Luke, before we do, tell us what's up. Yeah. I just want to give a quick shout out to a couple of our partners who will actually both be at our superior conference in three weeks. Superior than who? Whoever's got one right now. <laughs> the Fleff. The Fleff. The Fleffs? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Um, first is uh, the Armored Republic, and we're very excited about them. They're our premier sponsor. And actually, uh, I don't know if we've actually said this out loud, uh, but they are sponsoring the after party, and um, we're very excited about that. So if you're coming to the after party on Thursday night, uh, they are sponsoring a a drink token for you so yeah you get one drink on the house thanks lovely to, gentleman thanks to uh the yeah. armored republic and uh they're awesome they love jesus they worship him as christ the king and uh they like tools of liberty so i'm excited to be a partner with them and then also uh, when david reese actually the uh founder or not the founder but now the ceo um will be teaching on liberty nice um, awesome. so i'm excited about that and nice. then uh ben merkel uh, we'll also be teaching on education from By the Standard, and uh, he is the president of New St. Andrews in Moscow, Idaho, which we are also thankful to be partnering with. Nice. Man, what a stellar lineup. It is a great lineup. We it's have like a 92 great. dream team. It is right? great. <laughs> Good teaching, fellowship. There's performances. There's pro- matter of fact, the reason my voice, the reason my voice is the way that it is right now is because I'm doing a little performance in art. Like, you know, the whole co- concept of the conference is By the Standard. Living as a Christian, standing in the Word of God in every area of life, whether it's education, government, and politics, whether it is uh, apologetics, whether it Martial is sciences. the arts, yes. or even combat, those sorts of things. So I'm doing a thing, a performance, so I'm getting my voice trained for it again. It's been quite a while since I've screamed as loud as I uh, plan on screaming. Uh, you lost your voice because of key-iping? Yeah, key-iping. 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 <laughs> oh, uh, so we're back. Um, thank you, everybody who's joining us right now live feed. Make sure you share this with your social media platforms. Let people know. Uh, so this will be hopefully a very helpful discussion. I know we talk a lot about the issue of the preborn because we're getting closer and closer to establishing justice. We've justice. We've got numerous states we're working on right now. Bills you're going to be seeing and hearing about. I'm sure in the national media. Uh, so everyone knows that's that's where our heart is. That's one of our ministries. We're fully dedicated to establishing justice, ending this thing, and then walking away and getting into the next next uh, business at hand. Um, we're not trying to create an industry out of it. We want to uh, finish it, end it, establish justice, move on to the next thing. Um, and so we talk a lot about this, and so it's important, but we also want to talk about uh, some foundational things. So we talk, I, this is, I was talk, talking to the guys, 
Uh, I thought it'd be good to do something on this right now because we haven't done it in a long time. We have tons of teaching on this, by the way. If you go to Apologia Studios, you've got presuppositional apologetics courses, apologetics courses. You've got on YouTube stuff that we've done over the years, presuppositional apologetics. Just look it up, presuppositional apologetics. Uh, just type in Jeff Durbin, presuppositional apologetics. You should see it. Definitely going to learn a ton of it uh, from Dr. Greg Bonson in Bonson U, which is free. Did I mention that? It's free to everybody at Apologia Studios. Several times. Uh, but I, the reason why I want to have this discussion is because I saw somebody uh, yesterday on my feed, and um, they said something like, I love presuppositional apologetics. I think it's very biblical. They said, uh, but I don't think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I, I, I'm, I'm, that's where I'm at now, because I think that you know, as Christians, we, we can and need to use evidences, uh, and evidences are a good thing. And I thought to myself when I saw that, hmm, he didn't understand. Hmm. You know, it, when you say something like that, it's 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 pretty clear you you didn't understand. Right. Uh, maybe you thought tag the transcendental argument for the existence of God was presuppositional apologetics. Like that's what it is. Tag. Um, and if some of you guys are like, I don't know what you're talking about, um, go watch Dr. Greg Bonson's debate with Gordon Stein. Not watch, listen to. It's free online. Greg Bonson, Gordon Stein, you'll see the transcendental argument for the existence of God in action. You'll listen to it a hundred times and still grow and learn uh, from that. Um, or you can watch the debate that Dr. White and I had with two atheists at the University of Utah a couple of years ago. Um, the antifreeze debate? The antifreeze debate. Um, and so you can watch that and see it in motion, uh, in, in action. And so the transcendental argument for the existence of God is, is an argument that you use against atheists right it's 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 a it's a way to take down the foundation of the materialist atheistic position from a christian perspective standing on the word of god with a christian epistemology but presuppositional apologetics is not tag tag you're it yeah 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 <laughs> I mean, it can get like that in a debate. Like, I gotcha, tag, you're it, you yeah, know, in back yeah, and forth. Yeah. Or I tagged you. Right. Yeah. So when someone says like, like we say like, you know, you're not supposed to just simply as a Christian throw evidences out to the unbeliever, the atheist, you know, for example, and think like that's going to do it. All, you know, if I can just prove historically the resurrection of Christ, well, then that'll do it. They'll, they'll right. buy it then. Or if I can just pr produce some miracle or something, you know, evidence of some miracle that that's going to convince the person. No, we recognize because we have a Christian epistemology and that leads to a Christian and um, um, anthropology of view of man and his, the fall. We recognize that evidences were never the problem mm -hmm. for the rebel, for the idolater, for the atheist. It's not a matter of like, if they could just get more light, then they'll, they'll follow Jesus. We recognize scripture teaches plainly no one seeks for God. Romans chapter one says very clearly that God is speaking so clearly through the natural order, um, so clearly shouting to every image bearer of God that his existence is so obvious that they are left unapologetus without a reasoned defense because he has clearly made himself known to every single human being in the world. The problem is Romans 1 says that they don't want him in their knowledge. They don't want to know him. Why? Because of the problem of human sin. So we recognize that it's not a problem of just throwing out evidences as though the atheist doesn't, doesn't, doesn't come to God, the true and living God, because he just doesn't have enough evidence. Scripture's clear. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. 
the fool says in his heart, there is no God. There's no sophisticated atheist in God's mind. God's like, oh man, I should have just given more. No, he's made himself known Mm -hmm. to everybody. The problem is problem of human sin and rebellion. And so we recognize that you cannot simply say, well, the problem is let's just play neutral, both of us. Let's see where the evidence leads us. The problem is you're dealing with somebody who is hostile towards God, non-God seeking, not righteous, and God calls a fool. And so the question is, is how do you actually defend the faith in a faithful way, which is clear? I mean, people often quote 1 Peter 3.15, and they're like, hey, Christians need to be ready to make a defense for the faith. But they they neglect the first part. There's something said before that, and it's you honor Christ as Lord, as holy, as God, and then you are always ready to give a ready a reason defense as the cherry on top at the beginning <laughs> yeah exactly exactly it's it's yeah and so so here's here's the issue and when, when we're dealing with apologetic methodology it's a question of what is faithful to god that gets lost believe it or not yeah. a lot in the study of christian apologetic methodology and what is actually consistent within itself and so presuppositional apologetics is not simply tag the transcendental argument for the existence of God. We're just, where we're saying to the atheist, look, you don't have any basis um, that satisfies the preconditions necessary for um, laws of logic as universal, as unchanging, invariant, as necessary. You don't have any basis for an appeal to uh, morality. Uh, like, for example, like just as an example, you have a Christian and an atheist in a debate. And now let's imagine now for a second, it's a public debate. Let's imagine 10,000 human beings are invited to come attend this debate. It's a very serious debate. They're gonna debate. Atheist versus Christian, 10,000 in the audience. There is a moderator, and what's the moderator there for? To keep it orderly, to make sure everyone follows the rules, and uh, to keep the audience in check if necessary, make sure everyone keeps their commitments to time, all that stuff. And so you have all, th- all sorts of things going on there. And what's the assumption from both people? Uh, sorry. What's the assumption from the audience pertaining to both people is that they're not lying right. through their teeth. Yeah. Integrity. Yeah. Integrity. Right. So in the debate, atheist versus Christian, what is underneath the entire debate? Um, the necessary commitment to integrity and honesty in the discussion. In other words, what if... The Christian comes into the debate and he just starts saying, oh, you didn't know? You didn't know about all these new evidence that just popped up? You didn't even know that there's 50,000 scientists that just signed a document, notarized, that said they found this evidence that disproves your theory? Now, what if that Christian was lying through their teeth? They'd be laughed to scorn by the atheist and the audience. Why? Because the assumption is you are not permitted to lie about evidence. And also, when they're debating, everybody expects both parties to actually be consistent, rational, reasonable, all of that in the discussion. Now, question is this, who gets to assume those things? Whose worldview has a foundation underneath it Mm -hmm. that gives rise to the necessity of integrity, honesty, reason, logic, consistency, order, science, mathematics, all of that. Whose worldview can justify an appeal to all those things? It ain't the atheist. Hint, hint. It's not the atheist. The atheist doesn't have a foundation. What's he believe? Say, if you take a Dawkins, he's a naturalistic materialist. He believes all that exists is the material universe. It's just matter in motion. That's all it is. We are, as Carl Sagan says, stardust. That's all we are. Stardust. 
bumping into Stardust. And if you read Richard Dawkins, it's my favorite quote of his because it is devastating. If you read uh, Richard Dawkins and Blind Watchmaker, no, River Out of Eden, he says, um, there is no good, there is no evil, only blind and pitiless indifference. Really? Is that how you uh, teach your science classes, Dr. Dawkins? There is no good, there is no evil, only blind and pitiless indifference. So you lie freely, willfully, in your science lectures, you just make stuff up. You lie about evidences. He he would probably say, "Oh, I would I would never I would never mm -hmm. right because mm -hmm. you're made in the image of God, and you know your worldview is patently false because though you claim the human beings are nothing but African apes that descended from bacteria, all that stuff in the long chain of nothingness and 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 um, nothing matters." Although you say that, you don't live that way. Mm -hmm. you, you, you decry injustices and all the rest. So here's the point. Transcendental argument against, uh, for the existence of God is, is a way of getting at this, this important element in that discussion with the atheist is that apart from the Christian God, you can't know anything. Apart from the Christian God, you can't prove anything. If you don't start with the revelation of God, you do not have the preconditions necessary to make sense of all that you're saying and all that you're doing. However, that's not all presuppositional apologetics is. It has to do with philosophy. I mean, when you talk about apologetics, the defense of the faith, you're talking also about philosophy because it has to come with apologetic methodology. And what does philosophy primarily contain, at least? Uh, it has uh, a clear portion of it that deals with metaphysics, that's an, that was the older term everyone used to use, metaphysics. Now most people say ontology. That's the doctrine of being. What is real? What, what is this? What's the nature of reality, right? What actually is real? Ontology. Philosophy also deals with epistemology. Epistemology, you know, big word, don't let it throw you. All it means is a theory of knowledge. And guess what? Everybody does it and engages in it every single day of their life. You might think like, why do I care about epistemology? Uh, do you claim to know things? Yeah. Then you're doing epistemology. It's, a, it's an authoritative claim inherently too. It, because yeah. you're pointing to the source of how you know what you know. Right. It, who it, says. Well, mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because you, you could take this discussion to the highest level, right? Seminary level, college education, that kind of stuff. Master's level, you know, doctorate level. You could take that discussion of epistemology way up there. Or you could bring it down to the street level to say, walk down to ASU and ask the guy wearing a dress and a beard, um, how do you know that this is moral? Yeah, that this is good. That this is good. Right. And he's going to give you epistemology. Yep. He's going to tell you how he knows, yep. right? Well, I feel like a lady. I feel like this. I feel or whatever. Or it's the community. They say we determine the truth, whatever. So epistemology is how do you know, right? This is what kills me about this discussion. When you get into this discussion, this is what kills me. You ask any Christian who loves Jesus in the walls of the church building at worship, yeah. any question, yeah. how do you know that? And they'll say, well, because God says here mm -hmm. and because God says here and because God says here. So the answer for the Christian in the walls of the church is always because God says, but you take that same Christian, unfortunately, out into academia, and all of a sudden they stop saying God says. He becomes a relativist. All yeah, of a sudden. <laughs> all of a sudden they stop saying God says, like we're afraid to say because God says, because God says. But the unbeliever doesn't accept that, Jeff. He doesn't accept the word of God as yeah. the standard, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, who says? Like, who says that God's standard is not binding upon him? Him? 
The rebels? Who's, who's the authority? Right. The what rebel? does God say about him? That's yeah. the question. Yeah, God says that he doesn't believe him or God. God <laughs> says he doesn't believe him. And he says, and here are the reasons why. That's why you can you can say, look, uh, self-deception is a real thing. Of course, self-deception is a real thing. We're not saying that the atheist is secretly going, yes, I really do believe in God. <laughs> I'm just going to pretend. <laughs> We're saying they're self-deceived. It's what the psalmist says. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. He flatters himself in his own eyes so that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. Oh, mm. That's a good one. The noetic effects of sin, the, the effect of sin on our reasoning processes, self-deception. So I know the atheist says he doesn't believe in God and needs more evidence, but the Bible says he's got enough light and evidence. The problem is actually his sin. So epistemology is a part of philosophy. Then you also have another part of philosophy, and that is ethics. Ethical questions are part of philosophy. So you've got at least ontology or metaphysics, you've got epistemology, and you've got ethics. That's sort of like, you know, the baseline of what sort of comes out of the philosophy discussion. As you get into the discussion of apologetics, you have to deal with this question of epistemology. Because look, you're debating with somebody and you're both making knowledge claims. Right. So now you're in the realm of epistemology. And the question is, A, what's faithful to Jesus? B, what's consistent? And what we're saying, if you're a Christian, mm-hmm. is that it's a revelational epistemology. We shouldn't be afraid to say that. Right. I know with certainty because God says. Now, the, and I just want to do a cursory thing of this real fast because watch this. Look at the intersection here. This is really key. This is really key. Because I think this is pr- probably what a lot of people miss in this discussion. Look at the intersection between what I'm saying about revelational epistemology and apologetics and what I and how that intersects with sola scriptura. Yes. Yes. Because it's the same it's thing. All connected. It's all connected. This so, is true intersectionality. Yeah, true. Yes, exactly. <laughs> a real intersection. Biblical. Yeah, biblical intersection. <laughs> so here's here's the deal. When when you talk about sola scriptura, what's at the heart of sola scriptura? It's a claim that certainty and knowledge comes from the revealed word of mm-hmm. God. And that there can be certainty to begin with. Yeah. I can know. I can know. For certain. I can actually yeah. have certainty, which is heresy in our culture, that you can know anything. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, simple stuff is even as like, um, uh, love your neighbor as you love yourself, or is it eat your neighbor? Which one are you certain about? <laughs> Right. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like that. Like, let's take, let's take that wild, that wild instance. Love your neighbor or eat your neighbor? Which is it? And someone says, well, dang it. It's love your neighbor. Yeah. How do you know that? And what are you going to, what are you going to say? Yeah. If you say it's icky, well, someone goes, well, to you, mm-hmm. this guy over here in this cannibalistic tribe, he thinks it's delicious. Mm. You just, you just haven't had it seasoned properly. You just haven't had a good, uh, you haven't had a good man. You haven't had a good. You haven't had a good leg of man. <laughs> missing some seasoning on that. <laughs> I mean, seriously, we're laughing about it, but think about it for a moment. Is that how you argue for the claim of which is it? Love your neighbor or eat your neighbor? Is do you seriously argue that it's icky? Do you think Jeffrey Dahmer agreed with that at the height of his sin? It's icky. Or how about the cannibalistic tribes that, that don't think it's icky? Or, you know, you could argue, well, you know, our society is determined that it's love your neighbor rather than eat them. Great. That tribe over there, not your society. They don't have to listen to you. They have a different set of rules. They have a different ethical system. They don't see it like you. So in your position, it's not really objective. It's just subjective or it's societal convention. It's just we got together and determined it's like this. No, that's not how ethical claims in terms of what's absolute are done. 
And so let's just say it like it is. Is it love your neighbor or eat your neighbor? It's love your neighbor. How do you know that? Because God says, because God's revealed himself. Mm -hmm. And so it's a revelational epistemology. And here's the deal. It intersects with Sola Scriptura. So if you're reformed, if you're a Christian and you believe that God's word is the ultimate standard for everything, it's the reference point because it comes from God's own mouth. If you believe Sola Scriptura, inside of Sola Scriptura is an epistemo- is a revelational epistemology, and that is what is flowing from a presuppositional apologetic. It's revelational epistemology. At the core of it, it's, it's I know because God says. How do you know that? Because God says. How do you know this? Because God says. God's the source. God's the foundation. He's the reference point. And so it's a revelational epistemology. You see it, and I won't belabor this today, except to say you see it in Genesis, first three chapters. You see the start of this conversation of knowledge. How do you know? Yes. God creates. He creates the world. He fills it. He says to his image bearers, he says, you can do this, but you can't do that. Now, God made the claim. He says this, but not that. The day you do, you'll die. So there you go. God's making the claim. And it's all dependent upon his revelational disclosure of himself. Right. That's the point. Yeah. Is that he's spoken, and then he allows the tempter to come in and propose an alternative standard of authority. That's right. And that is self-law. Yep. Yeah, and, and Adam and Eve. It goes back to the garden. It goes right to the garden. This revelational epistemology comes right to the garden. You've got different voices coming in. These are different claims coming in. God makes a claim. Satan makes a claim, right? God makes a claim. Satan makes a claim. Now, here's the question. Adam and Eve, on what basis, morally... Ought they to have uh, made the decision? Based on God's command. <laughs> he said. Yes, right. <laughs> That's it. Yes. Right? And so when you think about just what takes place, that, that moment in the garden, what ought they, on what basis ought they have to have made the decision? Because God said. Like, but wait a minute. Like, what if Adam and Eve, like, started, like, having a conversation with each other? All right? And they start going, well, how does, how does he know? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is new to him too. Or like this, I mean, he was totally innovative here and creative and he made it good. Yeah, acknowledge all that. But here we are. I mean, this is new to him too. I mean, do I really have like a basis to believe him? Like uh, maybe I'd like to call him down and give him a little interview for a second, ask him how yeah. he really knows that that day I'll die. Yeah, let's put, and that's what this all comes down to is if you don't start with God and his word, then you end up putting God in the dock, right. as Bonson says, which right. is putting him on trial. And it's actually quite serious because... Uh, the word of God says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Yes. Oh, that's right. And that's pretty serious. I mean, Jesus quotes that when he's tempted. You yeah. shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You, know, sh- you shall not try him and say, is God among us or not? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and even in that instance in the wilderness, here you have Jesus, the, the perfect Adam, uh, our, our Savior, the perfect image of God in that wilderness temptation, and he's doing what um, Israel failed to do and Adam failed to do. And that is, um, he stood on God's revelation right. and he rejected the outside voice. Yes. He points to God's revelation, to God's word. He stays committed to God's word in that wilderness. And so you've got the beginning of the Bible starts with this epistemological throwdown. God says he knows something. Satan says he knows something. Eve is deceived. Adam sins with a high hand against God. Uh, but the point is, is what ought they to have done? They ought to have simply believed God. And here's the question. This is the challenge to everyone who might be thinking through this. On what basis ought they to have obeyed? Is it because God provided enough evidence? Or is it on the basis of God's own self-attesting authority? 
He's God, after all. And he said, I mean, don't we believe from a Christian perspective, God's all-knowing, that God is holy, that God is just, that God is righteous, right? That God is good. And so when he makes a claim, they should have believed him because he's God, the nature of who he is, Mm. right? And they didn't. And so what happens is spiritual death, curse, and all the rest. And the rest of the Bible is wrapping up that story towards redemption. But as you go through the Old Testament, you see this throughout the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 13, uh, 1 through 5. Uh, Israel is told, people of God are told, uh, even if somebody comes with signs and wonders, like it looks legit, like, man, this thing is impressive. Like this guy's ministry is impressive. This thing, he's making, he's doing some big time things. These are miracles happening in this guy's, this guy's midst. And God says, even if they have signs and wonders, here it is, but they lead you after other gods, gods which you have not known. That's how you know they're a false prophet. So what's the standard? God's previous revelation of himself. He's made a revelation of himself. And he says, if they lead you after a different God, from what I've already said, that's how you know they're a false prophet. So there, for the people of Israel, very rudimentary standard there. What is it? I told you about myself. If they say something different about me than I've already said, you know they're a false prophet. So what's the reference point there? The revelation of God. You move into Isaiah 8, 20. You see it again. Uh, To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no light in them. Mm -hmm. That was a standard in Isaiah chapter 8. To the law and the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no light in them. We could do this for days, okay? But that was the standard. God's revelation is supreme. Move on into the New Testament, and here's what I want to say. I want to have an epistemological system, a view of knowledge that Jesus had. Have you not read? Can we agree with that? written. Right? Can we agree no. with that? Like, he's, he's the son of God. He is God incarnate. Um, I want to have the view of scripture that Jesus had, and I want the epistemology, the view of knowledge and how we know that Jesus had, right? C.S. Lewis might be a benefit. Van Til might be a benefit, right? Um, Thomas Aquinas might have said some things that, uh, oh, that's nice. That's helpful. Great. Good. Uh, but you know what? In the end, I want to say that I want Jesus to be my philosophy instructor. I'd like Jesus to be the one who teaches me epistemology. And I want to do it like he did. And you have it in, like Zach brought it up, uh, what's, what's Jesus constantly appealing to? If he's not appealing to his own authority as God incarnate, the I am, he is appealing to what? Have you not read? He's pointing to the scriptures. What does he chastise people for? When he rose again from the dead and he's on the road to Emmaus, mm-hmm. Emmaus and you got those confused disciples, <laughs> what does he chastise them for? Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken concerning they, him. Yes. The, the point for Jesus is this. They should have known. They had the scriptures. They should have known. You are slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. That's what he chastised them about. God's word said this. What does Peter say? He, in Peter's own epistle, he says, even though he's seen Christ yes. in the transfiguration, he says, we have a more sure word. Yes, more what? sure and certain word. And certain. <laughs> then him seeing the transfiguration. Mm-hmm. He's saying as an apostle, you've got a more sure certainty with the scriptures, the word of God that came before, than my saying or him saying that he was a witness to his majesty. The scriptures provide mm-hmm. the certainty. That's from an inspired apostle. It's a remarkable claim. Huge. That, that the uh, revelation coming through your ears is more reliable than what you've seen with your eyes. Ah, powerful stuff. Okay, so Jesus, 
we'll end on this. Epistemologically, how does he know? When he, this is big, this is big, big, in the discussions you have with Mormons, in the discussions you have with the Watchtower, like Luke just did this last week, in you, discussions you have with Roman Catholics or Eastern Orthodox, this is key. Look, all the disputing, all right, we can acknowledge it. We all got differences of opinion on how this works out. Can we all settle on something here very graciously with each other? You have a moment in Jesus' ministry, it's in the scriptures that preceded the first several centuries of the church where people are making all kinds of claims about Christ and Christianity and the church and ecclesiology and soteriology. You've got a moment with Jesus in Matthew 15 where he has to confront what they viewed as divine tradition. They thought it went back to Moses. So they knew what the scriptures were. Paul says in Romans 3, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. They knew what they were. They laid them up in the Jewish temple. They knew what the Bible was. By the way, the Apocrypha wasn't in there. Um, but they knew what it was. It's in the, laid up in the temple. Jesus now has to deal with a tradition that, listen, the church of the day, call it that loosely, the religious church of the day claimed that these traditions go back to Moses, the Korban rule, Right? And so Jesus is dealing with people who would have pulled rank on him mm -hmm. and been like, hey, this goes back to Moses. Who are you? Right? They would have claimed it went back to Moses, just like in many ways Roman Catholics today will claim that some of these teachings go back to the apostles. Of course, uh, yeah. when, you don't, when you don't see them in church history and you see clear doctrinal development, they struggle with that. And then they eventually will admit, yeah, you know, it didn't, wasn't formulated and really right. given with precision until right. later. But yeah, we can't tell you where it was in history. Anyway, so... Um, Jesus deals with what they thought was a divine tradition, Matthew 15. What does he say? Very simple, epistemological test. You know what he does? He says this, you say. And then he quotes their tradition. Mm -hmm. And then he says, Moses says. And then he quotes from Moses revealed scripture. They should have known. And he says, thus, you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. So for Jesus, I want to have his epistemology. I want to have his view of philosophy. I want to have his view of the Bible. For Jesus, he says, you say, God says. Thus, because they contradict, you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. So he takes the word of God. He says, here's what God says. Here's the reference point. You're saying this. Uh, you're wrong because God says this. So he appeals to the revealed word of God. And so that is how Jesus handled conflicts in his day where there's a claim made and then he says, but the word of God says. So you are invalidating the word of God for the sake of your tradition. And that's really important also for where we're going to be segueing exactly. into. Exactly it's what not, I was going to say. I think people, yeah. they, they see it as unrelated, but I'm telling you. Oh, it's everything. Having God's word as the foundation for how you know, yeah. uh, for what's righteous, what's just, that bleeds out into all areas of application, yep. including... What's next? Yep. So before we jump right into that, I'll just, I'll, I'll put a cherry on this right now. There's <laughs> the cherries at the beginning. <laughs> I, I, I cherries. <laughs> I like cherries. We'll put them at the end in the beginning. Okay. It's like a cherry sandwich. Cherries everywhere. Uh, um, very important. When someone says, you know, presuppositional apologetics, but I like evidence. Guess what? Uh, of course. And because we're Christians, we should love evidences, memorize evidences, study evidences. Uh, we should actually rejoice over yeah, evidences. Those, those are, it's worship. Because we're Christians. Yeah. Because we have a worldview that actually concerns itself with properly identifying the truth in the word of God and in the world around us. 
But here's the point of presuppositional apologetics. It's not like we don't think you should ever use evidences and appeal to evidences right. and all the rest. You have to do it within a faithful, consistent framework as a Christian. Faithful to Christ, consistent. Faithful, not playing neutrality, not playing the fool who says there is no God, not pretending in that world, but actually looking to him, using him as a reference point, and on that basis, being able to actually appeal to things like integrity and debate and laws of logic and, and uh, uniformity in nature and all the rest. But standing on him, you actually have the ability to appeal to all these evidences because you hold to a Christian worldview, because you're standing on the word of God. But what we'd say is a, a no-no, apologetically, philosoph uh, philosophically, and epistemologically, big words, we say is a no-no is to actually think that I can just simply appeal to these evidences, throw them out at the unbeliever, and he's going to be somehow convinced by them. What's the problem? Rebellion and hardness of heart. So I have to make sure that my apologetic methodology is wrapped up in my gospel call. Yes. At no point should I disconnect my defense of the faith from the call to exactly faith. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem I have with men like... Um, that are, uh, they would consider themselves like classical apologists who would actually, for, for a moment in the debate, just sort of play neutrality, like, well, let's just see where the evidence takes us. It's like, there's no pressing at that point on the heart of the believer, or the unbeliever to call them to repentance and faith. We're saying that every single fact is a fact of God. Every fact is a fact of God. And you're accountable to not only those facts, but everything in your life. And so uh, you can do Christian apologetics with evidences, but it has to be framed in a framework that is faithful and consistent, standing on God's revelation, not pretending neutrality, and understanding that the fear of the Lord is, be is the beginning of knowledge. There it is. Yeah. There's the cherry. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning. It's not the middle. It's not the end. It's not the outcome. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of of knowledge. You want to know something? You can't truly know it. You can't truly justify it. You can't have true knowledge. Really have it. Know it. Know it intimately, actually consistently within yourself. You can't know it without the fear of the Lord. Mm -hmm. That's what scripture says. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I, I believe it was, it was Rush Dooney that said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all sanity. Mm. It's the essence of what we would call common sense. Yeah. There is no common sense apart from uh, the fear of the Lord, because to depart from the fear of the Lord is to depart from all sanity. Yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> there, there, there really isn't anything common or anything that we share that, that Christ doesn't own. Even the things that we know, which assume knowledge, mm -hmm. you said fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. All knowledge is covenantal. Mm -hmm. It's either working to bless you or curse you yeah. in terms of mm -hmm. what you do with it. Very good. And that is That's the ethical... Good foundation of all of this authority ethics you're commanded with what you know yeah. to respond that's big well and as we transition to this next subject i mean being presup right doesn't affect just apologetics and that's what we're going to talk about now mm -hmm. this is why jeff wanted to lay this foundation because yeah, yeah. you just it's said a second huge. ago it should affect all aspects of your life and what we're going to be discussing is it should also uh, god's objective standard should also be our foundation for morality and for law and when it's not it's what you're about to witness it's something other than god's uh biblical principles perfect segue 
That's the key issue. Now, it really bring, is. bring this discussion <laughs> past the discussion of like the dispute between the Christian church and Rome today, past the discussion of apologetic methodology versus the atheist, and now bring this discussion of how do you know into the question of justice and morality, public morality. And that gets us to the discussion of Kathy Harris. If you're new to this discussion, this is very important. You've heard us talk about Kathy before. We knew Kathy before. We've actually interviewed Kathy before. We were friends with Kathy before. We've eaten with Kathy before. We've been at the Capitol with Kathy before. Um, and when we started actually engaging as a church with a prophetic witness to our legislature, Kathy detached completely from us because she told me personally on a phone call that she could never say that any of her sisters in Christ are guilty of murder or that abortion is murder because she has too many sisters in Christ who have done it. And so she doesn't believe that it needs to be fought against with it being seen as murder because she thinks that women and men who engage in it are themselves victims. Mm -hmm. So you need to know this. This is the truth. It's the truth. And Kathy, you'll answer for this. You're, you're going to answer for this. Um, Kathy removed from the books Arizona Statute 13-3604. Right. She removed it. Now, right now, Arizona's there's, it's bubbling over. It's brewing over right now because when Roe fell, people go, oh, guess what's on the books in Arizona? It's a law from 1901, 13-3603, that says that it is a crime for the abortionist mm -hmm. to do it. And people were freaking out and up in arms because they were saying, oh, that's just an old law. We don't have to obey that anymore. It's like, oh, it's standing and it's being held to now. It was upheld by the court. So 13-3603 is on the books. Guess what else was on the books and would have been on the books had Kathy Herod not ensured that it was removed? 13-3604, which said that it was a crime for the mother to do it. Kathy Herod resisted our bill and told the legislators not to pass it. She encouraged them not to. She resisted our bill of equal protection that treated the, hu the human being in the womb with equal protection yep. as human from conception. She told them not to pass it. And not only did she tell them not to pass it, she came out publicly and said that she would be opposed to any bill that would say that a woman who murders her child in the womb should ever see any criminal penalties because she believes that mother and baby are both victims. And this is not empty accusation. No. She says oh, the no, exact Bruce. same thing in what we're about to watch. Yeah. She says at our urging... We removed this statute. Yeah. The Arizona legislature removed this at our urging. Mm -hmm. so, so there's full responsibility. So the taken. truth is, hey, here's the thing. The truth is right now in Arizona, abortion would be a crime for the doctor performing it and the mother seeking it. Yeah. Do you get that? We would have, not that it would be perfect, but we would have a truly abortion-free state in terms of lawfully in Arizona had Kathy Herod not decriminalized abortion for the mother. Kathy Herod believes that a mother should be able to kill her child in the womb with no consequences at all because she herself is not guilty mm -hmm. of anything. She's a victim just like her baby. She's a victim. That's what Kathy Herod believes. So Kathy Herod has removed the gospel for the woman. Kathy Herod is not approaching this as a Christian with the word of God. Uh, that is a fact. Um, not only does she deny what scripture says about the need for forgiveness and salvation and the hope that women have in Christ in the area of abortion, she's removed it. She denies what the Bible says, and she denies what historic Orthodox Christianity has always 
said about the issue of abortion. Oh, that quote from uh, Basil? Yeah. Wasn't it powerful? That was amazing. I have it here. Go ahead and read it. Yeah, yeah. So this was in the 300s, by the way. So that's how long the early church has been dealing with this issue. Uh, A woman who deliberately destroys a fetus is answerable for murder and any fine distinction between its being completely formed or unformed is not admissible among us. Not admissible among... Us, yes. As in the Christians. And you understand what he's saying there. We're Mm -hmm. not talking about degrees of development here. That doesn't determine the value of the child. Right. They were fully prepared to cut off fellowship, to cut off access to the Lord's table for women that murdered their children. Yeah. It was a a pastoral issue. Right. Mm. Right. So Kathy Herod does not hold to a biblical view of this. She does not hold to a consistent Christian historical perspective. In other words, she's operating on the basis of what is called formally in the Christian uh, church, heresy. She is promoting and teaching heresy that is destructive heresy that destroys the gospel proclamation for the mother who's done this. My church is filled with women who have had multiple abortions and they are forgiven in Christ, but they recognize their sin. They recognize their guilt and they've given it to Christ. Kathy Herod says there's no guilt to repent of. There's no guilt to repent of. You You are a victim, sweetie, just like your baby. There's no reason to come to Jesus for forgiveness. That is what Kathy Herod believes. And she grounds it in a sentimental redefinition of love. Sentimentalism. That's it's all it is. All it's emotional. It's not Christian love. It's not no, biblical it's not. love. It's That's not exactly love the right. way God's word defines it. Yeah. And here's a devastating part, too. If that is not hard enough in terms of um, uh, displaying the position, Kathy Herod is holy, holy, holy inconsistent. That's three holies, but not like God's Yeah, I was going to say, let's clarify right. the that's kind a w, of holies. We're not talking a... Isaiah 6. No, we're not talking <laughs> Isaiah 6. We're talking about WH. You are completely entirely. and utterly, entirely inconsistent. Because Kathy Herod will tell people when she's raising money for her organization, she will tell people as she's getting money that she believes that it's human from conception that all humans deserve to be protected, all life is sacred. When Kathy Herod needs your money... She will tell you that. But when it comes down to actually saving these children, Kathy Herod took your money, money lied to you, and she fought against the bill that would have established equal protection. The bill that said what she says she believes. When she took your money, when she went to your church, when she did fundraising, she told you she believed it was human from conception and that she believed that all humans believed needed to be protected, all life is sacred. When she needed you to fill her account, so she can make her budget. She told you that. But when the bill came into the legislature that actually said what she says she believes for cash, she resisted it, fought against it, and then she decriminalized abortion because she believes that a woman should be able to kill her child with impunity, with no consequences, because she believes that she is not guilty and she is herself a victim. So uh, for Zach... Or Luke, did you? I'm I was say, just going to say, we're going to get into, she's going to talk about what's going on mm-hmm. currently. Okay, I'll hold on. Yeah, this. if we don't get to it, because I mean, it's a few minutes of differential we'll there, I can fill it in. But. So um, tell everybody just, just 30 seconds, how did we get this video? What happened? So this was sent to us uh, by, the, you know, we were notified that this was happening by someone who had a connection still to the Center for Arizona Policy, and they were going to be. Uh, you know, sent notifications about webinars, being informed about what's next uh, for abortion in Arizona. They sent that to us. So we jumped on uh, this webinar uh, call where the primary subject was talking about where things stand in Arizona in terms of abortion law. 
And they also talked about, you know, school education things too, but this was kind of the, the basis for it. So we decided to jump on and see if we'd have the opportunity to uh, push back a little bit. We didn't get a chance to do it verbally, but we were able to submit a question in the chat uh, that she did answer yeah. at the end. And oh, I, nice. it'll be good to look at it. So this first clip is from 13 minutes and about 50 seconds I in. I would do 1335. 1335. Yep. We'll just move it back a little bit. Put it right about there. Okay. So we'll start here, and then you can stop me, and let's cool. start doing commentary. Just tell me when. For them to see all of you. So there's no charge for it. We do ask that you register. And so I just help us get a, a big crowd there. We're doing okay on attendance, but we need, we certainly want to fill up the ballroom. So help us um, fill out that ballroom. Okay, so now um, let me just switch and talk about um, what's going on with the abortion issue and what is the law in Arizona. So if you, um, um, hang on a second on that, Dalton, I, wanna, I just want to preface it a little bit. So um, you're, you're hearing a lot of words like significant confusion about what's the law in Arizona. Um, the 15-week law trumps the pre-roll law. That It's the territorial law. It's been in effect for 150 years. Well, you know, the, the media and the Democrats are doing everything they can to make us look extreme on abortion when they are the ones that are just unbelievably extreme. So the good news tonight, though, is that abortion is not legal in our state except to save the life of the mother. And that is the law. It's what the attorney general thinks. It may not be what Governor Ducey thinks. It may not be what Bram Resnick at Channel 12 thinks, but that is the law. And the good news of that is because of that, I'm not aware of any abortion clinics in Arizona that are performing abortions today. Now I'll talk about what they are doing, but um, at least they all are at least concerned enough about the law that they're not doing it. So let's look at what the law says. And here, I'm gonna go ahead and read it on the slide. And this is, um, you know, when they say it's from 1901 or 1864, this is the law that was in effect in January, 1973, the day that Roe versus Wade was handed down. A person who provides, supplies, or administers to a pregnant woman or procures such woman to take any medicine, drugs, or substance, or uses or employs any instrument, uh, other means, or other means, whatever, with intent thereby to procure the miscarriage, and in this instance, it means abortion, of such woman, unless it is necessary to save her life, shall be, prisoned by shall be punished by imprisonment in the state prison for not less than two years nor more than five years. So this is what the law is. I mean, two lawsuits are pending on it. I'll talk about that in a minute. But um, this is going after the doctor. When you hear somebody say that, oh, this is gonna punish women, no. Um, the law, the pre-roll law that punished women for having an abortion was repealed by the legislature in 2021 at our urging. Um, we're not trying to put women in jail for having an abortion. In the pro-life movement, we love them both. We love both mother and child, and we look at both as being victims. We want to stop the provider, the doctor, from performing or providing, supplying abortions. There you go. <laughs> so. There's a couple things to say. Yeah, go, you, I'll let you start. Go ahead. I would say that the idea that abortion is illegal anywhere is erroneous. If abortion was illegal, then it would be illegal for everyone. Right. But it's not. Right. Because there's someone that still has yeah. uh, protection to do it. And take any issue. If we said in a state that rape was illegal for everyone but the men, 
would it be illegal? No. Nope. So why, when we get to this issue... The do ones have, perpetrating. Yes. Why, do, why, when we get to this issue, we have such intense blinders on and such a blindness that we can't see that it really isn't illegal. It, when we're talking about as a practice itself, we're shielding the, the primary culprit from any type of legal culpability. Yeah, abortion doctors are not running around neighborhoods looking for children to kill. They have locations and where... this Yes, and this becomes proven as she goes on because she talks about... The reason I want to bring it up is because I don't know if we'll get to it, but the way that things stand right now in Arizona is that because the clinics, because Arizona is currently an abortion clinic-free state, not an abortion-free state, an abortion clinic-free state, what's happening is that there is an abortionist in Vegas that women can travel out of state and see. There is an abortionist in California mm-hmm. that they can meet with uh, through telemedicine that will prescribe them pills, and they have to drive over the California border to a post office, pick up the pills, and take them there in order to kill their child. Mm-hmm. That's how they're doing it. Mm-hmm. And then the other way is they're meeting with a telemedicine physician in uh, Switzerland, she'll go on to say, and the pills are prescribed from and delivered through India in order to be transported into the United States from outside U.S. borders. Mm-hmm. So you have a situation in which women, the, the, the burden upon them in order to make this happen is greater than it ever has been before. Mm-hmm. They're not driving to a clinic 15, 20 minutes away. They're driving six hours plus across state lines in order to kill their children. Mm-hmm. That's willful. And she will rush to their defense and say, see how the abortion industry preys on these young women. Mm-hmm. See how they lie to them and tell them all sorts of false things and that this isn't a baby. Yeah. Do you see what they do to these women? Mm-hmm. And it's like, wait a minute, they have to try harder than ever before right. in order to do this. And they're doing it. Yeah. They believe, and I use the word impunity because she believes that they're guiltless. There's no guilt involved. They can do it with impunity, get away with it. She believes that. But here's another word that is important. She also believes that they should be able to kill their children in the womb willfully with immunity. Impunity and immunity. Protection of the laws of the state. So Kathy Herod has no problem with DIY abortions. Right. None. She has no problem with DIY abortions. And though she says that she believes that it's human from conception and that it is human life from conception, all life needs to be protected equally and all life is sacred, though she says it, she doesn't really believe it. She doesn't actually act like it. Because what does she just tell you with her own mouth at our urging? Some of you might have actually thought we're little conspiracy theorists. Maybe we're telling... Tales from the schoolyard, and we told you that Kathy Herod is the one that's responsible for decriminalizing abortion in Arizona. She just said it. And she, she said defines it. that as love. At our urging. <laughs> at our urging, we told them to, de- to decriminalize abortion for the mother. She believes that mothers can do it with impunity and immunity. She made sure they had immunity. Kathy Herod made sure that mothers can kill their children willfully in the womb in the state of Arizona with immunity. That is not an audacious, crazy claim. That is not an exaggeration. That is her worldview. Why does she believe that? Because of the heresy of the pro-life movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, granted, the pro-life industry and establishment believes that nonsense. Great. Doesn't make it true. (laughs) How do I know? Because God says, 
And by the way, you also have the entire history of the Christian church saying exactly the same thing. Kathy Herod, you're not operating as a Christian here. I don't know where your heart is, where you are with God. All I know is you have a lot to answer for because the blood of all these children that are dying in Arizona after you resisted the bill that actually protected them is on your hands. You're going to have to answer to God one day. There will be a day of judgment. You're going to answer to God. Why did you actually deny these women and fathers the gospel and tell them they weren't guilty and didn't need Jesus because they were innocent victims themselves? Why did you actually allow for the impunity and immunity of the woman? Why'd you do that? Why did you do that? Though you said you believed it was in the image of God. Though you use on materials, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Mm -hmm. You use all of that. You use the word of God as a pretext. You use that to, and you get behind it. And then you all of a sudden now abandon all your Christian commitments. Why? Because you want to pretend this is loving to mothers. I've got women in this studio right now that would love to look you right in the eye and tell you. You are devastating women who have had abortions. You are lying to them because they need Christ. They need to know what their guilt is so they can flee to Christ for forgiveness and salvation. You are devastating the abortion-minded woman because you are taking Christ completely out of this. And you are killing these children. You are, you are doing things that's leading to their death through your inconsistent policies and legislative actions. And so this is a, this is a critical issue, and you're going to answer for it, Kathy. You are going to answer for it. You will have to answer for this injustice, and I think this is really, really important for us as a church to recognize that this position is not only heresy, it is inconsistent, and it is devastating to the preborn and their plight, because she believes DIY abortions, there's no guilt. Mm -hmm. Did you catch that? There is no guilt in killing your child willfully in the womb. No guilt. You are a victim. You should never, ever, ever see the wrong side of the law when it comes to killing your child in the womb. However, if you took that same child and that child was nine months in the womb, then comes out, if the mother then took it to an assassin or killed it herself, Kathy Herod would say, absolutely, the mother needs to go yeah. to jail. Why? Because of her inconsistent position. She's not actually pro-life. In the true sense of actually what that means, because Kathy Herod does believe that a mother who kills her child out of the womb should see the inside of a jail. She does believe that. She just doesn't believe that a mother should ever be prosecuted for killing the child in the womb. Yeah. Can, and can you bring that discussion to back around full circle, even to what we we're talking about with presuppositional apologetics? God's word is the standard. All this political game that they play where they say, those wicked Democrats, can you believe what they support? Abortion up until birth, you know, babies born alive, mm -hmm. you know, they believe they, sh they shouldn't let them survive. Look at how wicked they are and look at how common sense and reasonable our position mm -hmm. is. We want, you know, reasonable abortion restrictions. And then you get down to the bottom of it, you apply God's word and it's like, well, who says what's reasonable? Right. Your position exactly. is just as, it's, it's wicked just like theirs. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it's grounded in your own self-law. Mm -hmm. You say mm -hmm. that this is reasonable. You right. say that this is common sense for the guilty to be acquitted. You say that this is common sense for there to be unequal weights and measures and for there to be partiality and justice. Mm -hmm. That's what you say 
is reasonable. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of common right. sense and the essence of sanity. Right. So you're being evil and wicked as well because you are not the standard. Right. God's word is the standard. Mm -hmm. And the point is that you're not thinking like a Christian and you're not operating like a Christian in the public sphere by appealing to God's word. What are you appealing to? Exactly what you said when you gave the example of, well, this is how many people I can get to agree with me because society says the pro-life movement has always believed this. What is she appealing to? Yeah. Consensus. Yeah. She's appealing to how many people can I get communally to agree with me? That has become my standard right. for righteousness. No matter how inconsistent. That's the standard. This group says so. Yeah. What does God say? That's the question. And, you know, this is just the way it is. The pro-life establishment, the pro-life industry, people like Kathy Herod, mark it down. They believe that a woman should be able to kill her child in the womb with immunity. Mm -hmm. she, told, she told you so. They made sure that 13-3603 was taken off the books, or four. four was taken off the books. She did that. Right now in Arizona, it would be a crime for the doctor, the mother, and the father involved. It'd be a crime because it would be treating the child as though it was actually in the image of God yep. and human. She made sure that women got immunity to kill their own children. And she does it under the pretense of this is just loving. No, loving to who? To God, not when you reject his word. To the baby, nope. You're not treating him equally. You're using unequal weights and measures, which God says is an abomination. Who's it loving to? It's fiction. That's not love. What is that? That's not love. Not some love for God, love for neighbor. The two things you're commanded to do here, Kathy, is love God, love neighbor. Your position does neither. It does neither. Because it also hates the mother. It doesn't love her either. You think it loves the mother. It hates her because you're lying to her right. to the degree that she now doesn't actually believe she needs to come to Christ for forgiveness. There's no sin here. I can murder my child in the womb and there's no sin here. Kathy told me so. She yeah. says she believes in Jesus and she represents the pro-life movement. They're pro-life. And she says, I'm not guilty at all. So the question is, is, is really, how do you actually muster up an argument with this position, Kathy? Because you're saying abortion is wrong. It's icky. Uh, we shouldn't allow doctors to do it. But mothers, you guys can kill your babies and it's not wrong. It's not morally wrong at all. How do you hold that position together? Because you know what? If I was the if I was the the really rigorous, strong-minded pro-choicer, pro-abort, and I heard your position, pro-choicers, feel free to use this argument. Please do use this argument against Kathy Herod every time you see her. Use it in the legislature. If I was in your shoes, pro-choicers, and I heard Kathy's argument, what I'd be saying is, hmm. So what you're saying is that abortion isn't really wrong at all, and there's literally zero guilt if I just kill my child myself. So the value of the human being comes on the basis of who's doing the killing. So I'll just do it myself, and then we could just have a state that says, just freely does abortion, but you just mothers have to be able to do it themselves. So we can hold classes. You know, moms can have little mom groups where they get together, you know, newly pregnant, and they can have like classes on like how to build the right potion to kill your baby, how to do it, you know, in, in a way where you can actually force a miscarriage. You know, we can hold those classes, and Kathy, you don't have any problem with that because this baby is not actually valuable. We're not guilty of a thing right? Pro-choicers, use that argument against her. Use it. I Feel free to use that argument. <laughs> Kathy Herod does not believe there's any guilt whatsoever or anything is wrong 
with a mother willfully taking the child child's life in the womb. I, one, one more thing to add to this, just to kind of press this out even further. It's not only unloving to lie to the women, right? Love doesn't uh, delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. She's lying to the very people, men, that she is uh, pretending to want to equip and help, which would be pastors, ministers of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And how is she lying to them? The law is a teacher. And so in saying that the woman isn't guilty, she is saying to pastors, preach a false gospel to this woman. Yeah. She's saying, here's the gospel that you should preach to this woman. She's a victim. Christ can't do anything for her with that abortion because she's not guilty of it. Yeah. Right. So now, pastor, you have to engage in proclamation of a false gospel. Well, how so? Well, the gospel is, isn't a reward for the righteous. It's a gift for the guilty. And so this is precisely grace, which is what she doesn't deserve in her sin. And so now, because she's innocent, you actually, actually have to abandon your commitment to the gospel when you're preaching to the post-abortive mom. Yeah. You have to preach a different gospel. You don't need Christ, sweetie. If the state commands you to do that, you rightly recognize it and you stand up against it and say, I'm a minister of the gospel. I'm faithful to Christ. My fealty is to him. I won't sacrifice this message. This message is what saved me. This message is what builds the church. This message is what advances the kingdom. You can't force me. You can't even suggest to me for one moment to preach a false gospel. And that's exactly what she's doing. Mm. She's lying to the woman and she's lying to pastors. She's lying to Christians. Yeah. Well, things are actually, I was going to add this, are actually much worse than how you described them. <laughs> um, <and laughs> Enlighten so, me. <laughs> yeah. So, and this, and, and just for everyone listening, that's not in Arizona, this is most likely if you're in a pro-life state with similar laws, this is probably what's going on in your state as well. So when you're talking about going to California to get the abortion pill, that's uh, RU486, right? Like that one specifically is not being allowed to be given or sold within our state. But plan B is readily available and being given out like candy. That's a good point. And she doesn't talk about that. Um, I've been talking to a legislator in our state this week who's been behind us on a lot of things. And I'm having to explain this to her. And she's like, oh, no, they have to get pills from out of state. I'm like, no. Uh, plan B, you can literally go to Walgreens still. Mm -hmm. um, a lot, all these clinics are handing out Plan B like it's candy. Guess what? That still uh, will kill your baby. It's called an emer they're calling them emergency contraceptives, and so um, we're we're working on trying to get that shut down. Uh, but the point being is, it's still happening like crazy, and um, you know we're only talking about early stages right now, mm -hmm. right? These pills are only early stages. Um, you know, every one of the biggest uh, uh, complaints that we hear all the time is like, well, if you all are abortion, then uh, the coat hangers are coming back. Guess what, Kathy? Uh, now you've made it so moms can use coat hangers. Because uh, once they get past a certain point, they can't use these pills anymore. So they're either going to have to get a consultation here and then go across state and pay a lot of money to have their babies murdered, or they're going to be using coat hangers. And, um, but Kathy's fine with that, you know, and it's like, I know we're being graphic, but that's the reality of things. Kathy doesn't believe there's any guilt in that. Right, exactly. So the doctors may not be doing it, but hey, here's your coat hanger, mom. Just think about the, the partiality shown in just that instance. You can kill your child with impunity and immunity, but if he does it, he's guilty. He's guilty 
but you're not. But what is he doing? He's engaged in the very same activity that you are. He is willfully destroying the child in the mm-hmm. womb, and you are the one bringing the child. You are willfully engaging in it as well. And so he's guilty, but she's not. That's partiality. That's unequal weights and measures. That's not justice. And let's just admit it, Kathy, your position is bankrupt. It is absolutely, absolutely undeniably bankrupt. And the better thing to do, and I'll call you sister because you profess faith in Christ, but I do have questions. The better thing for you to do is simply repent. Repent of an inconsistent position that is offensive to God and leads to the destruction of more of these children. It's not loving. You're not loving God, you're not loving the child, and you're not loving the woman. Stop lying to yourself, Kathy. You are not operating as a Christian, and you are not loving anybody. Um, This is just a lack of courage. Next, uh, this is an hour five. This is where we're mentioned? Yeah, hour five, 20 seconds, I believe. This was five hours long? No, one hour and five minutes. Oh. I was like, no, wow, no. kudos okay. to you. It wasn't that long. <laughs> Here we go. Just a simple um, overview in the printed voter guide. And then on the azvoterguide.com website, we have um, uh, more in-depth summaries on each one that um, that um, that Cindy has prepared that you can get there as well. So um, let's see. Um, I have, okay, we have a question here. Um, so I'll go ahead and answer. Is it Cap's position that mothers who intentionally abort their children are never guilty before God or of a crime per the removal of a prior statute? If so, how do you maintain that unborn children are persons deserving equal protection of the law? Um, There is a a group called End Abortion Now that advocates for putting um, mothers in jail for having an abortion, for putting women in jail for having an abortion. Um, I mentioned earlier that the Arizona legislature repeal this law that would punish the woman and put the woman in jail. Um, and how I will say this, um, many women who have been, um, we used to say have been sold a bill of goods, that they've been told that the unborn child was simply, simply a glob of tissue, that it was a product of conception, that it wasn't a living, breathing human being. They've been misled. They've been told lies. They're in a vulnerable position. This is where the work of the pregnancy centers is so very critical for, um, for all of us to come to support our pregnancy centers to come alongside these women, that no woman has to go through a pregnancy alone, that we want to help and serve women. We don't want to punish women. And so, um, and I have said frequently that I'm as concerned about the woman walking into an abortion clinic as I am about her unborn child. And if we're not, we might as well pack it up and go home. I believe that we all know that abortion not only stops a beating heart, but that abortion hurts women, abortion harms women. And if we're being honest, we all know women who have been hurt tremendously by abortion and who need healing in Jesus Christ. And so I think to punish a woman, you know, we want women to see healing and have wholeness. And we want to work to um, that that woman doesn't ever think about choosing abortion. And that's the focus of the the pro-life movement. Um, we're being attacked by that position um, for some. But um, I'm, I'm for women. I'm pro-woman. I'm pro-child. And we're going to advocate for both woman and child. And we want to see women get healing and the help that they need. Healing and help for what, Kathy? You didn't answer anything. You, you, all of that talking just, just now didn't answer anything. And, and Kathy, I want to respectfully challenge you to a public moderated debate on this subject. 
respectfully. We'll pay for the whole thing. It'll be moderated. It'll be orderly. It will be respectful. But let's let's do a public debate in our state. And let's talk about this subject. We'll do a public debate. I'll pay you to do the debate. How's that? We'll pay you to do the debate. We'll, we will donate money to CAP um, to do the debate. Uh, this discussion, are women who willfully kill their children in the womb guilty? You said, just now, curious, you said women need to be healed. From what? What do they need healing from? I mean, let's, let's, let's answer that question. What do they need healing from? Did something bad happen? What happened? Did somebody die? What do they need healing from? So you got to answer that question. Use all these words like we, we know we're for the mother, we're for the baby. But I think we didn't answer that question. You said healing. Healing from what? The physical damage? Because she's not guilty of anything, right? I mean, she's, she's not guilty. She hasn't done anything wrong, right, Kathy? So what does she need healing from? That's a good question. And, and to spin this, which is what that was, that was all spin, in such a way that end abortion now just wants to punish women and we want to help women. Kathy, do you want to see our benevolence that we just cut today uh, for a woman that uh, we, we rescued children in her instance at an abortion mill? Do you want to see the benevolence checks we cut, the women we care for who go into the abortion mill? Because Kathy, I haven't seen you outside a local abortion mill. I was going to say that. That's the interesting thing is, Kathy, you're in Arizona. There's a number of abortion mills over the last couple of years. I haven't seen you once outside of our abortion mills with our team. Our team is out there in the summer months sweating, sun's beating down for hours, saving lives, caring for mothers, feeding mothers, throwing baby showers for mothers when there's a rescue. All that. I haven't seen you out there, Kathy. Interesting. And um, yeah, we want to care for mothers and babies. True. As the Christian church, care for their needs. But we also have to be honest about what actually is happening in abortion. And what you're doing is lying about it. You're saying that she's not guilty, impunity, and immunity. And so, Kathy, all that was was just bluff and bluster. That wasn't an answer to the question that was asked of you. Um, Because you know what's funny is I don't think you talk this way about molestation. It's the same thing I said to, about Brent Leatherwood. Uh, interestingly, you wouldn't say this about molestation. That like we want to, you know, we want to we want to help bring the gospel to say child molesters, people who engage in that horrendous act, and uh, we just want to see them as victims of their environment. Maybe they were raised and they got access to the, their dad's porn collection. You know, it's a tough world for men to live in today with so much access, free access to pornography. They're a victim of their this own. Is so envi- huge. They're a victim of their own <laughs> environment. You know, I mean, just we need to really pour into those guys and just really help them. Would you say? that about the guy who engages in that awful injustice against, say, a child? No, you wouldn't. You would say you want them to know Jesus, but they still need to face the consequences for the crime they committed. Problem is, in this instance, is you believe the heresy of the pro-life movement, the unbiblical, anti-historical, unorthodox position that the woman is not guilty and should never be seen as guilty. And so you have put yourself, Kathy, outside of the borders of biblical and historic Christian orthodoxy. And there is no way around that. So critical what you said about the problem of all of this. She's not thinking like a Christian. The the problem being external to the woman. Who says that? Secularists unbelievers the problems are all out there society upbringing financial situation that's the issue but the christian worldview sees the problem of the heart as the heart of the problem what does jesus say matthew 15 out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder 
Where's the source mm -hmm. of the problem according to the Christian worldview? The source of the problem according to the Bible is that it's evil desire that comes from within right. the heart to the outside. And the, the whole idea that people are innocent, basically good, which is another basic thing she's advocating for here, that the woman is basically good. Mm -hmm. And that's, once again, not, not biblical. Um, I mean, just maybe just like one minute on this. Romans chapter 2. What does Romans chapter 2 tell us about what the Bible defines as natural law, which I would just say is moral law, that is the work of the law on the heart? Romans 2.14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. And so that natural revelation, that natural law, the work of God's holy law, right? The Ten Commandments, the moral law written on the heart of the woman testify against her conscience that what she's doing is evil. And what's that based off of? Romans 1, the light of natural revelation. So we see from creation, like you were talking about, Jeff, Sorry. we see from creation the evidence of God's existence. We hold that down because we don't want God in our knowledge. We suppress that truth. And then what's the result of that, according to what the Apostle Paul says? The, the result of that is we become fools. We exchange the truth of God for the lie and he even goes so far as to say it affects the way we view the natural function of our bodies. What is he, he brings it all the way down the line to homosexuality, but what is the most natural basic function of a woman's body to create life, to, to bear children. Mm -hmm. And so a woman has the fruit or if you will, the work of God's law written on her inward parts that testified to her, who she is, the creature of God, and her primary purpose, what she's for, her telos. And so to say that a woman or anybody else doesn't know, right? They, they don't have knowledge. They're a blank slate. They're tabula rasa. They're, they, they don't know what they're doing. She's been given the light of God's revelation in nature, and she's been given the work of God's law written on her conscience that testifies to that. You put that all together, and how can we really say that if the problem is within her, mm -hmm. that she's somehow a victim, that she's not guilty. Based on the work of God written on her inward parts, what she has suppressed is the truth about the most basic part of her, that she creates life, that she bears life. Yeah. And so once again, to bring this full circle, we're just not thinking like Christians. Right. She's not thinking like a Christian. If the problem is all outside of us, if it's all external to us, then really we can't be responsible for anything. But again, she would never apply that standard to mm -hmm. the example that you use, mm -hmm. the child molester. She would never say, it's just his upbringing, he's a product of his environment, he's not truly responsible in his heart. Yeah. For some reason, we just won't go there with this. Two quick things. One, uh, feminism is poison. Two, uh, She's clearly never been at the abortion mill. Is going to say and talk to what you're about to play. Yeah, so. well, that's yeah. I, you have to. Yeah, I mean, we could do this. We could do this for days. Yeah. Kathy Harrod doesn't seem to have spent a lot of time outside of abortion right. clinics. Uh, he, she is, she is promoting this fictional perspective. Is it true? Let's say at the outset, is it true that there are instances where somebody is truly coerced and forced into an abortion? Yes. Yes. 
And they would be exonerated. They would be exonerated by the law. By the law. And that's what we would want. Sex traffickers, pimps, uh, the people that threaten these women, and they don't want to have abortions and they're forced. Is it true that people, there's coercion? Yeah. Are they guilty? No. No, because it's coercion. It's threat. They have nothing to do with it. That's that's In that instance, the perpetrator is that person doing the coercing. However, you haven't spent a lot of time outside of an abortion mill because this is the true picture of the woman today who um, is for abortion. So that just I, we could do this for days, but I'll just give you two examples in terms of refutation, practical refutation, not just biblical refutation, not, not just logical refutation, but practical. Let's just take a look at it. Okay, Kathy? Here is, uh, this is at LSU. LSU? Yep. LSU uh, this year. Saying that Christ was your Lord, you you believed. Y'all are sitting here putting this shit on here like women want to have Is it offensive? Abortion. Is it Thank offensive? You. They Thank sit you. There, they sit there like we like we no think is abortion is it. funny, it's but it's even more comical that y'all are here. Y'all are fucking losers. Wait, Instead of going do something. Can I ask you a question? You, I don't really want to talk. Okay, to okay. You. women, you said women don't want to have abortions. Yes, women don't. So we how don't. come how come three thousand are dying a day? Because they have to. They, they have to. Well, can I ask you, you a question? I don't, I don't see you advocating for adoption agents. I adopted I my, I I adopted my son. Can my, my name is Jeff. I, really I adopted my son. He was going to be aborted. I adopted him. So your argument's failed, now, isn't it? No, it I don't. And why is it hard for a woman to have an abortion? Because why? We, we should have the choice. No, why is it hard? You said it hurt. No, you, you said it hurts her. I shouldn't have to have a baby because you want me. What'd you call it? They are dying. So you should be able to kill the baby. There you go. Did you? Hey, you should listen to what she just said. I want to kill my baby. I'm gonna kill that shit. Thank. Victim. It's amazing how quickly that happened. I mean, that was within about 30 seconds. Yeah. Because that's the position. It's not hidden. And if you're outside of an abortion mill, Kathy, you hear that all the time. She, what did she say it was? Her baby. If I want to kill my baby, I'm going to kill that. Mm. Right? But they're all just victims. They just don't know. She knows what it is. She says, I will kill my baby if I want to. That's what she said. Now, uh, we're at the end of the show here, but I know... And, I have to do this. I'm sorry ahead of time, but I have to do it in terms of a refutation of the woman who decriminalized abortion in this state. She decriminalized it. She admitted to it. She had a part in that. She made sure it happened. When she says these women, you know, they're all just victims. They're not guilty at all. These abortion-minded women, they just, uh, they just don't know. We just need to love them by telling them they're not guilty and helping them heal from some nebulous concept of having had an abortion and needing healing for what i'm going to play something that i played already uh two weeks ago or three weeks ago i want to apologize ahead of time for what you're about to hear i'm not going to sanitize this i won't do it i won't do it especially because you just heard the pro-life leader in arizona saying that these women are um not guilty and they're just victims so i'm not going to sanitize this so i want to go ahead and, and tell everybody right now if you want to go ahead and get off the broadcast right now because you don't want to hear one of the most awful things you'll hear in your entire life, go ahead and feel free to do so. And for those of you guys that have small children around, do not take any risks with this right now. I'm telling you, please do not take any risks. Don't say, well, maybe, maybe it's not that bad. It is one of the worst things you will ever hear in your entire life. Yeah, it's disgusting. So do not take any risks right now. If you're at work, don't take any risks. If you're in the car listening to this and you got children in the background, Please take my word for it. Do not take any risks, but I cannot, I cannot in good conscience sanitize this 
when we are dealing right now with babies who are being killed and the pro-life leader in my state giving the heretical pro-life industry line that says this woman who kills her child is a victim and doesn't need Jesus to forgive her because she's not guilty of anything. Um, and she should never see any kind of punishment. Here is an example. And we, again, look, we could do this for days. Mm-hmm. We have plenty of videos that just outside of abortion mills of the mom saying all of these things. They know what it is. They'll do it if they please. They'll kill their baby if they want to. Here is a discussion about abortion porn. Abortion porn. Please, 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 please do not take any risks with your surroundings right now. And I apologize ahead of time. Here it is. You know what? The surgical one was pretty big, girl. I did it without the anesthesia. Well, the local anesthesia. Mm-hmm. I didn't go under. Like, I stayed awake. I wanted the whole experience of it. I'm like, <laughs> I want to look into your face when you're sucking that out of my body. It's fucking kind of hot. <laughs> Why is like that, that hot? While I'm, like, up I... in freaking stirrups, and I'm just, like, <sighs> 21, and just, like, mmm. But your pussy yeah. looked really good where they pulled that dead baby out of it. Yeah, you know, they just, this could be a fetish. Wait a minute. Vacuum the whole thing out. Wait a minute. Only, Does abortion spa also have an OnlyFans? OnlyFans abortions to help women pay for their fucking abortions. If people are into that, there's a fetish for that, to watch bloody fucking guts come out of a pussy. Somebody is into that. Is this how we make abortions okay in capitalism? Is it? Is because like, the, we've got to find a way to not only, you know, the doctors are getting paid and it's safe and that, yes, 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 yes. But also, let's feed it back to into the, the machine the and like get the OnlyFans going. OnlyFans yeah. paying the insurance companies. You know that there is somebody that would fucking come to watching a fucking dead baby come out of a The pussy. more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm really looking forward to Porn 30 today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't have any abortions. I'm so sorry. There's, we need to create an animated, like, fetish subgenre of, like, abortion porn. If you're thinking of it, there's got to already be a porn. <sighs> well, it's probably on, like, the deep web. I have to go, like, looking on tour for it. <clears throat> Victims. Kathy. I know how hard that was to hear. Yeah. And there you go. And, uh, you know... <laughs> There's there's the there's the spectrum of women who are for abortion that are just our hearts are so darkened and so hard they will say the most disturbing disgusting things like these women just did. And then there's the other end of the spectrum of people who do this that just simply say what you heard that college girl said. If I want to kill my baby out, I will. If I don't want an enemy, I'll kill that baby. I can do what I want. It's my body. I'll kill the baby if I please. So yeah, there's a spectrum of just, you know, how foul someone will be. Just like there's a spectrum for killers. There's the Jeffrey Dahmers. There's the Ted Bundys. And then there's just the, you know, the gang violence that takes place, you know, on a Saturday night in South Phoenix. Um, where I hear the gunshots all the time. Um, there's that. There's a spectrum even in that area of murder of just, you know, how dark are you? Um, but that's the that's the heartbeat behind it all. Mm-hmm. So final words, boys. I mean, I think it's pretty self-refuting right there. There's not much else to add to that. We can end there. Yeah. All right. Sorry to end on such a horrible note, everybody, but it's uh, our duty as ministers of the gospel to make sure that we are telling the truth, that we are exposing these unfruitful deeds of darkness. And um, Kathy, the offer stands. Let's do a public debate on this subject. Just so you know, Kathy, 
Uh, right now, it's it's in the works. We have plans right now in the works. Lord willing, it's gonna it's gonna happen. You're gonna be facing down another one of our bills. This next legislative session. That's what we're working on. We have confirmation, and uh, we'll leave it at that. And um, you'll be facing it down. So you're gonna have to answer once again. Lord willing, if it gets in, you're gonna have to answer once again for your opposition to a bill of equal protection for all humans from conception. You're gonna answer once again for it. So Kathy, let's do a public debate. Moderated public debate. We'll pay for everything. We'll even pay you for showing up. Um, I am Jeff, the Calm of the Ninja. That is Luke the Bear. Peace out. And that is Zach. See ya. Director of Communications for End Abortion Now. We'll catch all of you next week right here on Apologia Radio. Get more at ApologiaStudios.com. We'll catch you guys later. Please pray for us. And don't forget to go to End Abortion Now with your church. Get signed up. Partner with the almost 900 churches who are out saving lives all the time. Partner with us. Give at End Abortion Now. Help us with all the states we're going into right now. Speaking prophetically to legislators. Establishing justice for the preborn. We'll catch you next week right here. Apologia Studios. It's all about-